Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Tom, thanks for taking some time to join me, mate. Pleasure. Good to see you. Yeah. Likewise, good to be here in Sydney. Sun's out. It's a great day for it. Yeah, finally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, went from flooding to 33 in Melbourne. So yep. yeah, it's happening. Summer is upon us, mate. Um, I've got a few icebreaker questions, which I'm hoping we can get to. Sure. These are just like quick questions, short answers type thing. Uh, and for people who don't know who you are, I should mention this. You can go back and listen to some of the other interviews we've done. We did one with Will. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes. But mate, to start off with, which company do you think you have learned the most from? Um, I think this is a stock that a lot of small cap managers, um, it's a bit of a favorite of theirs. Mm -hmm. It's ARB Corporation. Mm -hmm. Only because I've followed it for so long and, and seen the journey and gone on the journey with them. I think what we've learned there is it's been founder led. You know, the, the Brown family has been involved in that company for a long time. Mm. They've always been innovative. They've, they've R&D spend has been off the charts. They're great quality products. Uh, balance sheets are really robust. It's always had cash. Uh, it's grown successfully in Australia. It's now expanding offshore. Mm. Uh, it's always paid a dividend and a growing dividend. So to go on that journey with a company like ARB has been um, quite a thrill. And, you know, you learn a lot from from that. So it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those companies which... Personally, I've looked at it, I've said, I've always thought it's too expensive, it's too expensive, it's too expensive, and it just keeps yeah. going up. <laughs> yeah, the good quality companies do do that, unfortunately. So sometimes you miss the run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, you've been investing for a long time. So this next question is more so just something that you may have learned from the Soulpats team, from the contact team, from BKI, any, any of the guys that you work with. Yeah. Um, what's something that you've maybe learned over the past 12 months? Yeah, it's a good question because it's been a been an interesting twelve yeah, months, and I think what we've seen uh, a lot of peers do have they've, they've been caught um, as as probably deep value managers or value managers get caught up in a bit of momentum and, and late cycle bull market mm. um, trend and, and and performance, if you like. I think what what I'm really proud of of the team at Contact and the team at Souls is we've stuck to our knitting. You know, we've looked long term, we've looked through the cycle. Uh, the, the team at Souls haven't bought a, an investment to the Souls board that doesn't fit within our traditional wheelhouse. They've been very disciplined there. Um, 
you know, great, great custodians of, of people's wealth, which is, which is great. And then from a, a contact point of view, um, launching the, the X50 fund, you know, we had to stick to our knitting. We, we had a period where there was some significant growth in the market mm. um, out of stocks that just didn't really fit our investment thesis. Uh, we were disciplined. We stayed out of the market. We, we invested in, in quality and, it, and it's come home to roost. The performance has been pretty good the last six months in particular. It's something that we talked about off air briefly was um, not getting caught out in like yeah. chasing growth or something like that is just staying, sticking to your knitting and knowing what works. It's really important because, it, you know, as a fund manager, you don't really want to sell your product, but you just want to have your product available to people Mm. Uh, to invest in over the long term, but they've got to know what you do. You know, mm. it's no good being a growth manager one minute, then value the next minute, and changing your portfolio. And 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 because if you if you get it wrong, you'll you'll blow yourself up. Yeah. And and you know you're, you're dealing with people's money, whether it be a unit trust or in BKI's point of view, you know, share a company. So you've got shares on issue. So you know, it's really important that you you do stick to your knitting. Otherwise, it just it, it unravels pretty quickly. Mm. From our first discussion that we had on the series, I remember you talked a lot about growing up on the farm and you know yeah. work, the value of hard work, basically. And this, uh, I, I was, I have the fortune of seeing what you might be, what you might answer to this question, which is quite interesting. But what's the name of one company or just even an industry um, that has a fantastic product or service but makes for a terrible investment? Yeah, that's a good leading question. That one. <laughs> It is ag. So listed ag is not usually a good investment. You know, people uh, who invest in ag and spend a lot of time in ag are really passionate about it. Yep. So they give it everything. Um, it's, it's a lot of hard work. But unfortunately with ag, it's it's not so much cycles, it's seasons. So very hard to predict. Yeah. Um, from a listed point of view, ag stocks are almost impossible to own over the long term because you have periods of two or three years where everything's really good and then you might have a flood or a drought or a, or a weather event and it wipes out your crop or your herd gets devalued and you know the short-term investors run for the hills but the long-term investors like us are sort of stay mm. there looking for the the exit but we we want to hang on yeah yet the valuation has has tanked yeah so it's really hard to invest in listed ag stocks unfortunately but unlisted ag yeah, stocks where you can go through the cycle and you know, maybe buy another property where valuations come down, or there's a bit of pressure on something. You can you can reinvest and mm. you know go go for the go for the long run. Do you think that um, I had it uh, once put to me that um, unlisted ag tends to be better quality in some respects because a lot of farms and properties are intergenerational and they don't yep. come to market very it's, often. That's a, probably a fair comment. I think though what we are seeing in that private space is they are becoming a bit more corporatized. Yeah, right. So they're having a, like a cornerstone investor. And then Souls, we've got a, a, quite a substantial unlisted ag portfolio now of, I suppose, circa $300 million. Mm. Um, but we, you know, invest there like we have in other sectors. We co-invest with a, a manager or a landowner, uh, someone with a, a high level of knowledge in the space mm. uh, to, to help run the, run the investment. But um, it's, a, it's a very difficult one if, you, if it goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so since we last spoke, um, like a lot has changed. There's we've had rising interest rates off historic lows. Yep. Inflation came back. Um, even like the global pandemic. Um, obviously, there's been so many implications of all those things. Uh, but you've been doing this a long time. You know, it's kind of in your DNA as well. Has it? Has what you've seen over the last little while changed how you invest? 
A little bit. Um, when you look at, I suppose, the macro view and have a top-down approach to a few things, um, it does it does change the way you invest. That's why we've sort of tried to stay focused and bottom up and, and look for quality mm. companies and look for basic fundamentals that we like. Um, but when you have such, I suppose, differing, you know, parts of the the market in mm. such a short period of time, you know, there's headwinds and tailwinds and inflation and you know, cash rates and unemployment and house prices and there's a lot of noise going on. Yeah. Um, you just got to stick to what you do and, and, and stick to your knitting. What we've found with inflation in particular is that the companies that can pass costs on, they'll, they'll, they'll win because mm. it's no good having a rising revenue market with inflation and lose sight of the fact that it's costing you twice as much to produce or offer a service or deliver a product. Mm. So you've got to have the ability to pass on a cost. And, and we're finally seeing that with, say, the supermarkets at the moment. You know, there was, what, five or seven years of cost down and a race to the bottom and mm. best value. But now they're all sort of sitting back and going, well, the cost of these products has, you know, gone up significantly. We have to pass that on to the consumer. So, Tom, one of the things that uh, I guess I caught me by surprise, like it's probably the biggest surprise to me this year, and it doesn't – I'm guessing it probably wasn't to you – is the run-up in energy stocks, mm. in particular coal. Um, huge dividends, massive buybacks, some of the stocks running up. Like I didn't, to be honest, I didn't think, I thought there were so many headwinds. I didn't think this sector like had the legs in it. Yeah. But has that caught you by surprise at all? I think the speed of it has. Um, underlying, we've always liked the, the thematic. And, yep. you know, we've had moments of the last, three to five years where we could have sold out of our coal assets. And if you look at the um, the mines that we have bought off of some of the big majors, you know, we bought mines off Rio and, and West Farmers in particular, BHP have been selling assets. Uh, so the, the bigger guys have had the view um, mm. that they'd rather not be in the space, but we've, we've liked it and continue to like it. I think if you go back 18 months, two years ago, it was pretty tough. You know, thermal coal was is in the doldrums. Price per ton was was lower than fifty dollars a ton, and mm. you know, low cost producers like like New Hope were, were just making money, but we we were still profitable. Fast forward, you know, 12, 18 months time, those prices are four hundred dollars a ton this yeah. morning. So, the profits that they're generating, not just New Hope, but Whitehaven Yan Coal in particular, are they're, they're almost unbelievable. Yeah, you know when we when we comp them on a PE chart, I think Whitehaven's the most expensive. It's on two times PE multiple. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So a billion dollars of cash, as you said, buybacks. It's going to buy back over twenty percent of its stock. Um, it's yeah, it's incredible. Like, you know, do we do we believe it? We we do believe it, but we we can't believe how far it's run. Yeah. Um, do you think? So one of the questions that I often get about most resources businesses is how difficult it can be to model them how do you go about so obviously this is just one instance and you could take this through the lens of coal stocks or just anything you want when you think about modeling and valuing these types of companies or assets how do you do that well it is hard um you know they've got an infinite life right obviously the mine life is yeah 10 15 20 years whatever it might be might be shorter for for some mines that are a bit older but you know, you do have to put a commodity input in. You have to put a, a currency input in. Mm-hmm. So there are some inputs you have to put in, which, to be fair, and if I'm, you know, shedding light on it, a yeah. lot of it's made up because, yeah. you know, it's, thermal coal is not going to be $400 forever. 
it might get to 500, it might drop to 200, it might go back to long-term average of 80. Yep. So what you put in year three, year four, year five in your model can make a huge difference in the valuation that you get, For sure. obviously. Um, but it's, it's a matter of updating and they all produce quarterly reports. So it's just a matter of updating quarterly for the current year and then, you know, forecasting a year in, in advance. But, but fundamentally, you then look at balance sheet, cash flow, dividend policy, quality of the management, quality of the coal, and then you overlay it with the, the supply-demand dynamic and, and energy themes, I suppose, yeah. which is driving the prices at the moment. Which is what I was going to uh, go to, which is do you think that, um, like in your, in your opinion, when you look at the demand for energy around the world, do you see, like are you more, I guess, bullish with the outlook or for, in, partic- in particular for coal? Personally, I am. Yeah. Um, we've only just started Northern Hemisphere winter and the price this morning was $400 a tonne. Yeah. So it's anyone's guess what it could be in February, March next year. Yeah. It might stabilise, which is great, but it might even, it might even grow from here. Yeah, right. Um, I think if, if the broader um, energy mix isn't solved and solved quickly, this, this theme could go for five or ten years. Yeah, right. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't just produce a wind farm or a solar farm and the infrastructure and the transmission lines and everything that goes with it in 12 months. This is, you know, this is five or 10 year worth of projects and, and work in front of people. Do you, with the, I guess the, the, you could say European situation and like the instability in energy markets there, um, is that something that you're mindful of with that outlook? Like I guess from to the downside potentially for prices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I think bigger picture, we have to take examples of what's happening in Europe on in Australia to make sure that we don't run into the same situations. Yeah, as in like energy vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or afford sold at all to the export market, and we don't we don't leave anything here for ourselves. Yeah, because too many times you hear stories of we're exporting iron ore and we import steel. Yeah. Or you know we we produce wool and we we you know we buy a woolen jumper made in China or something like that. You know we've got to stop doing that and try and be a bit more self sufficient. Mm. Um, competing on a cost front from a manufacturing point of view is one thing, but hopefully with technology and robotics and that sort of thing, we can start to compete and start to bring a bit of industry back to Australia, which which will be fantastic. Yeah, uh, is there anything else? What like while we while we talk about this, is there anything else that you see? So in similar dynamics from a resources perspective, uh, or is it energy in particular that is really interesting? Well, energy is one thing, but the whole, I suppose, decarbonisation is another thing. So, you know, energy then leads to, you know, solving the problem for electric vehicles and charging phones and laptops and all the rest of it. And there's a lot of minerals and metals that go into, into that infrastructure as well. So whilst we talk of energy at the moment, which is basically power, You've got a whole swag of metals and minerals that will come in effect mm. as these EVs and batteries um, start to roll out, which, again, it could be five or ten years away yet before we see some sort of saturation in, in those markets. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a long-term theme and story in my view. Do you have – I should know this, sorry, off the top of my head, but do, do you have exposure to lithium and those types of uh, – Resources as well. Yeah, we do. We have a couple of small um, lithium names in the X50 fund, IGO and AKE. Oh yeah, 
Um, and we've done a lot of work on those internally because if you remember those matrix I was talking to about with yeah. thermal coal, the inputs and the commodity price and, and, and production and um, I suppose the sourcing of that, that material, it's, it's a rel relatively new metal. So we've done a lot of work on trying to feel comfortable with that because, you know, as I said before, we don't we don't want to be investing in companies that have got growth and no profits and um, could be here one day and not not the next, right? So we've done a lot of work on that. We've probably missed a fair bit of the run on those two stocks, but we bought into them probably six months ago. Yep. We've done very well. They're very profitable. We've got a bit more of an understanding on the process and, and the costing and a few things and I suppose the end demand of, of those commodities. So we feel a bit more comfortable investing in now. Mm. We might be a bit late to the party, but if, if it all works, those those stocks will be very successful for five or 10 years time plus. This is uh, an interesting one in terms of, like you said, you kind of, we out, we outsource, we export the, the product, but a lot of the times we, we're importing mm. the technology. Um, and that that's actually quite, uh, it's actually quite stark that relationship between us being a source, a resource for this type of thing, and what we get back. Um, and it, it's almost a shame we can't do more of it here in Australia. I don't know if you share that. Totally statement. agree. Yeah, totally agree. And you know, without sounding like a couple of politicians, a <laughs> chat over a beer, um, it's something's got to be done about it at some point. But I, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly. Yeah, um, I've got, uh, I guess, a question. That that's come through from Twitter. And this is from Alec who asked the question of, with the lack of funding in the coal sector, is New Hope in particular uh, going to leave more cash on the balance sheet to try and buy up other assets? Um, the management team at New Hope and the board will look at most things. Yeah. Uh, if they make sense to, to profitability and, and to you know, shareholders' funds. Um, I think the beauty with the market at the moment for thermal coal producing companies is that the amount of cash around um, makes a lot of these businesses self-funding. Mm. So I don't think you'll sell, see those um, distressed asset sales like you probably would in a normal cycle. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, the super profits, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, another more topical question for you, Tom, is in the past few months, you could take that as six months or a year, um, other than say resources, which we just covered, have you found any interesting, I guess, sectors that are presenting opportunities for you for de to deploy capital yeah so typically in the if you if you take the top 20 in australian stocks you've got sort of two moving parts you've got resources mm. and typically woodside bhp rio uh, and then you've got the banks yeah and so you've got you know six stocks driving the top 20 and yep. effectively the whole performance of the asx 300 so whilst you've seen a huge rise in the resource stocks the banks um, with you know pressure on NIMS and expenses and all the rest of it have come under a bit of fire. Mm. However, the last three to four, maybe six months, they've done really, really well. You know, an interest rate environment that's changed quite dramatically. Um, better NIMS, um, better cost, uh, cost outs. They're producing some amazing profits and, and dividends and, and the valuations have, have moved. Mm. You know, CBA did their buyback 12 months ago at a dollar, $105. And everyone thought that was the top of the pops. Hmm. Fell back to 90, few of us bought them back. And now it's, you know, 108, 109 again. Yeah. They're doing, doing really well. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I find the banking space really interesting now for the first time in a little while yep. because you see the repricing of the books and the, the expansion. Hmm. Um, 
do you see do you think about like maybe are we we're seeing expansion in the net interest margin now but do you see provisions rising in time they could do and i think that's the biggest question of the banks at the moment is this 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 fixed line mortgage cliff that we we could be facing in you know anywhere between april and december next year yeah um we we won't know who lent at ridiculous yeah, prices until it's too late. <laughs> yeah. um, that's investing, but um, there there could be, uh, but they have provisioned quite significantly over the last couple of years, and they they haven't written nearly any of it back yet. Most yeah. of them. So. And the, I would I would also comment that the uh, the payout ratios are a lot lower. They reset basically, yeah. so that's given them more cushion. I guess. Yep. Um, how about then? Uh, there, there is a question that I have here with regards to um, the way you research businesses and the way you go about finding great companies and assets to buy. And this is basically just a, the, the effort that you put into boots on the ground research. A lot of what we think about as investors is quite, you know, we're looking at it from a distance and we tend to look at spreadsheets and, you know, financial statements. But I guess how much of the qualitative getting down on the street, going into a store, visiting an asset, how much of that is part of your process? Oh, it's a huge part. And, and it's the bit that we probably enjoy the most is meeting with management. Um, you know, as we said, with the X50 fund, a lot of those companies we own there are founder-led. So, mm. you know, hearing great stories by people that have created something over, you know, generations is is, is remarkable. Yeah. And, and it's really rewarding to meet those people and, and follow the journey. So, you know, getting out onto the factory floor or walking a shop or, you know, talking to customers or clients of a, of a business that we that we might be looking at, uh, it's, it's really important. And I think a, a good example there is, you know, the IGA supermarket. Yep. During COVID, people were forced to buy locally as opposed to having the, mm. the flexibility or ability to go to a Coles versus a, a Woolworths. And a lot of people walked into an IGA and didn't realise that they had this huge refresh and refurb program running for the last couple of years. Mm. And they were shocked. Mm. You know, it's all clean. It's all nicely lit. The produce is good. They've got all the, the goods and dry goods and mm. fruit and veg that, that you want. And people will return to those shops knowing that. But unless someone actually went into it and, and saw it, you, you wouldn't know. Because mm. at the time of recording, that's a position in the X50 fund, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, they, do they still own Mitre 10, the business? They do, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and Total it, Tools is the other Total business. Tools. Yeah, that's right. Recently, yeah. yeah. Um, do you see that? I feel like the Mitre 10 asset has always been very interesting mm. under the surface because maybe to your point, um, the IGA, Foodworks kind of net cash brand kind of left people wanting a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And then the Mitre 10 brand entered the fray and it was a bit more interesting. Everyone's like, well, this is the little brother of Bunnings, yeah. Yeah. you know. Quite interesting. From a, from a company point of view, they've got the, the Mitre 10 trade stores, which are big box, yep. and they do compete head-on with, with Bunnings. But then you've got the smaller independent Mitre 10s. Mm. And again, it's like the IGA, it's convenience. Yep. So you're happy to pay a little bit more for a few things, yep. but it's there. Uh, the people serving you um, have got probably real-life experience in, yep. in hardware, so that's, that's good, that's positive. Um, and as far as founder-led goes, you know, families own these shops. Yeah. Now they're competing with That's your Coles and Woolies or your or your Bunnings. Mm. Um, so it might not be founder led at the board or senior management levels so much, but a family owns a business that go goes head on with yeah. some of Australia's best and most successful businesses. Mm. The another business that um, 
you own is Harvey Norman. Yeah. Which is quite an interesting one because if we talk about, you know, the ups and downs of the economy, um, I guess retail in general being quite competitive, how do you how do you think about Harvey Norman's positioning? Uh, I, guess, I guess the question is like, how did that end up in the portfolio? Yeah. Um, yeah, good question. We, we've liked Harvey Norman for many years. We've held it at BKI for a long time. Um, again, founder-led, balance sheet's good, um, growing globally, which is attractive. Um, a lot of the stuff they sell, special electronics, are almost like a need now, yeah. but, you know, not a want. Yeah. Uh, so, so they've done very well, especially over the pandemic, but they're doing well now. They're growing significantly through Asia. Um, but the founders there, they're some of the best retailers, retailers Australia's ever seen. Mm. So we, we're coming investing with Jerry and Katie effectively, mm. um, and they've done a remarkable job. I think that the underlying thing that we do like, though, with Harvey Norman is the property book. Yeah. You know, the whole business is effectively underpinned by a property book. Mm. Do you think – so there have been questions in the past about the property mixing with the retail – and I, I could be wrong here uh, off the top of my head, but the I guess asset valuations and unlocking value for shareholders uh, has that has that ever crossed your mind? Yeah, it's a difficult one, and I think they struggle with it as well internally. But I think if you look at um, the whole urban renewal thematic in most major cities around the world, but especially in Australia where they've got a lot of sites, mm. um, you look at an existing Harvey Norman footprint. And it's very hard to revalue that um, into anything else but retail at the moment. But if you look at urban renewal and you look at a higher or better use for, for that site, and it's not just a retail two-storey building, but it becomes a 15, 20-storey residential mixed-use facility, that's when you get a huge pop in, in the valuation. Mm. And it's hard to revalue that unless I think you actually pull the trigger and mm. start the commencement of, the, of that project. That reminds me of when I spoke to Lindsay from um, Brickworks. It, it said the same thing. Um, basically, like you have these operating assets, and then they turn into realizable, like fixed assets. You can then sell for multi-purpose or whatever you want to do with them, and then you can just keep shuffling along. Yep. And that's embedded value. So that kind of how you think about the the longer-term strategic value. Absolutely, and that's you know what what Lindsay and the and the team at Brickworks have done with with Goodman is a is a great example. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of struck me, and that's that ability to think, not just in the next three years or five years, but ten or twenty. Yeah, right? yeah. there's a difference. Um, so you've got a, a lot of great companies in the portfolio. Um, it's been a little while now since you started Contact. Um, I guess have there been any lessons learned in that respect? A question I get a lot. We have a lot of aspiring well analysts and. You know, financial professionals that listen to this show, Tom, and a lot of them think if you get someone like Tom on the show, ask him, you know, did setting up the business, is there anything that you would do differently or change? We thought about that when we started, obviously, to try and think of absolutely everything you can to cover all the yeah. bases and it, and it never works. Yeah. You know, things change, things move. Uh, you know, over the time, we've done some, some, some great stuff in, in property, you know, we had Herb Investments. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it was only listed for two years before it got taken out. Uh, we've started the X50 fund. So I think the the one message to a small business owner would be to go with the flow a little bit. You know, your your business model that you write at the start is not what you're going to end up in five or ten years' time looking like. Yeah. Things always change. Things happen. Opportunities come. 
hiccups arrive. You know, mm. no one saw COVID coming, for example. Mm. Um, so you've just got to be a bit flexible. And, you know, when you look back in 10 years' time, you've, you, you, you could honestly say you've done a lot. But it's it, but it's changed from the investment thesis that you thought was going to mm. just roll out automatically from yeah. day one. Yeah, uh, it's just, that's true of any investment, yeah. going your own business. Um, but but patience on that patience is really important. Always think long term. Yeah, just you know, be be a sensible person, uh, be good to your staff, and you know, as I said at the start, just do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, you know, if you're running a fund and it's it's a value fund or a mm. quality fund, just stick to it. I remember when we first spoke, I think it was the very first time that we spoke. I think he's, there was, I made a remark about some like building the contact brand in Australia. And you're like, don't worry, mate, like we're here for the long haul. We'll still be here. Uh, and it just <laughs> struck me as very, like, that's not something I hear every, every day. Yeah. You know, I just, I just don't. And you could, and you've got the background to back it up, right? So um, that ability to think long term. Would you like if if you look across BKI, Souls, uh, Contact, like is there a structure you think that works best for certain types of investments? Yeah, obviously it needs to change depending on what investment it is. But my dad, my dad always says people, you know, and I think he's, he's right. Every yeah. time you run into a problem with a business, it's you've appointed the wrong person or you've overloaded someone and they can't handle handle the business or you haven't spent enough money and got the right person yeah. um, or, you know, some some people do the wrong thing. It just, just happens. Yeah. Um, but it's it's always people. So you always look for the best quality people. Uh, you always look after the good quality people when you find them and you just try and encourage them to, to be around for as long as, as, long as they can. And, the and by, by doing that, you pay them well, you look after them. You know, family's a big issue when you're, when you're employing people. Make sure you look after them and you know, their family so they want to come to work and they feel comfortable, you know, being, being at work and away from their family. So it's, it's just, a, I suppose, a sensible way of looking at something. So. Mm. And then the rest just kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, it does. And it's amazing how quickly things go. You know, BKI will be 20 years next year and it yeah. feels like five. Yeah. You know, sales was listed in 1903. You know, it's 120 years ago, so it's you know it's mm. it, things happen quite quickly. Mm. Um, I think when people sit down and think oh, I'll do this for 10 years, it scares a lot of people, but it, it goes pretty fast. Yeah. Do you um, do you do? Uh, I know you do like you know, the the fact sheets um, and the write ups. Do you guys do like webinars or anything like that at Contact? Like, I'm just thinking, how can people follow along with the Contact story and, yeah. and get more of what you and the team are doing? Yeah, not so much webinars, but we do do a monthly insight piece and a quarterly piece. Yeah. And we try and, you know, make sure they're very relevant. Yeah. Uh, as much as we can, because, you know, there's a lot of, lot of stuff out there that's, you know, webs in particular instance. So when you write a, a monthly piece, it's got to be, got to be spot on. Yeah. It doesn't take long to age. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But you know, I think um, I think that you know the journey of, of contact is is still evolving, and I think we're we're only sort of just going into an environment where we're going to produce some good returns. Mm. It's a stock pickers market again. Yeah, you know, we've the, the fund's nearly three years old. We spent the first eighteen months in a in a market where you know mm. kids at fifteen were making five grand a year. Yeah, yeah. By just investing pocket money. Yeah, 
in COVID, not even going to school. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, I thought maybe one way to finish this, and I'll put links in the show notes again to the discussions we've had uh, with Will as well. Um, I'm curious to pick your brain on maybe ways, because you, you strike me, Tom, as like you're one of the most humble people I've met, I reckon. Um, I'm not just saying that because we're recording, yeah. but I, I honestly mean that. Uh, and I'm curious how you would teach kids about money or business or investing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, probably said this to death, but you know, money doesn't come easily and quickly. So you've always got to think long term. Mm. You know, and, and for a kid that's very hard. But if you can teach, you know, a young person who's looking at investing or starting a business to, to go on a journey and, and invest for the long term, you're, you're probably halfway there. Mm. Um, I think the thing that blows a lot of people up is having too much debt. Yep. You know, never borrow too much. Try and keep some cash aside, live within your means. If you can't afford it, wait till you can afford it. You know, little things like that, which sound very simple, but mm. there's not many things that you can't point your finger at when something goes wrong. And it's usually you've got too much debt or you're impatient or you should have waited, but you bought that business to try and fast track things where you should have just kept kept plowing ahead. So, mm. you know, patience, not too much debt, cash, and and just be a, you know, try and, try and be a nice person. <laughs> that goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That's great advice, mate. Well, I, um, I do really appreciate you taking the time to join me across town. Good on you. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks. And I'll have all the show notes for everyone listening or watching. Uh, you'll find everything, uh, all the links to, to contact in the show notes. So appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me again. Cheers. Good to Cheers. see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.